welcome once again to the E-Bone Zone. I invite you to sit back, relax, and listen for the 292nd time as the countdown to 300 continues on this Friday, July 8th, 2022. I hope you enjoy this week's episode, part two in a novel review series on Rodman Philbrick's Freak the Mighty. Another week has gone by, which means it's time to continue our novel review. This week we dive back into Rodman Philbrick's 1993 young adult classic, Freak the Mighty. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, a link will be in the description. And you know the deal, chapter by chapter until we're all out of pages to turn. We'll take a look at chapters 6 through 10 this week. Let's get going. Starting off chapter 6, when we last heard from Max, we learned he has a sadness problem. Sometimes he cries and can't bring himself to feel better. And now it's the 4th of July, and as you'd expect, Max is really sarcastic about the whole thing because he doesn't really care for the pageantry. But he does really enjoy the fact that he'll get to go with Freak. The guys are close to the pond, where they'll watch the show, when a guy named Tony comes to harass them. He's a real tough type. And what I mean by real is the type of real you see in middle school. You know, bullies you for three years because he's higher on the social ladder and six months older than you, only to after high school graduation work a dead-end fast food joint that most people leave when they're 17 for the next 20 years, or at least until he moves out of his mom's basement. He's a real class act, in case you can't tell. Anyway, according to everyone Max knows, the best thing you can do when he's around is avoid him and his posse, but you can't exactly do that when he asks to talk to you. He walks over and he smells like beer, as Max expected. What Tony wants is fireworks, M80s specifically, and he says that it won't be pretty if Max doesn't have any on him. And that's where our buddy Freak steps in, chesting up to the menace like he's 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and Max starts laughing himself silly at the sight. This doesn't sit well with Tony, though. He starts to bare his teeth, surely going to squash both of them, until the cops show up, and then they're making tracks like a rabbit running from a wolf. When the fireworks start, Freak can't really see them, so Max puts him on his shoulders, and Freak is loving it. But it's not like a normal impressed by the colors thing. No, he's pointing out all different kinds of elements that make the explosions happen. And after they're over, everyone leaves. And that's where Chapter 7 begins. In Chapter 7, Max notices off the top that the smell of gunpowder makes him thirsty, and he's got lemonade on his mind. Freak is still riding high on his shoulders when he catches sight of Tony and his goons. He tells Max, and as one would in his situation, they waste no time taking a sharp turn to the left out of there. They're running hard and getting away until they're nose-to-nose with Tony's right-hand man, and he's got threats of slicing and dicing on his mind. So the two start running again, and then Freak directs them to the pond. With no other choices, they run into the water, making it all the way into the middle of the sludge, when Freak lets Max know that they've outrun the Goliath to their David. Tony is up to his eyeballs in the pond, about to drown, but his minions save him. When he gets out of the pond, the bullies start throwing rocks at our heroes. As they're nearly pelted with rocks, a police car can be heard, and then seen in the distance. As you'd expect, Tony and his gang have enough guts to pick on the weak, but the second someone stronger than them shows up, they bolt. And as far as Max is concerned, well, they're still stuck between a rock and a hard place, but the good thing is, the police lend a hand. When the officers ask what Freak's name is on suspicion that they know his dad, he simply says, We're Freak the Mighty. And that's how their reputation starts. 
Starting off Chapter 8, it looks like the boys are going to be in big-time trouble, but the police make Max out to be a hero because he saved Freak, when in reality it was Freak that saved him. A little while later, Max starts drinking coffee and bonding with his granddad, which warms Grandma's heart. She's found out that Tony started chasing him, though, so she tells Max in the same way Jenny told Forrest in the 90s to just run. And that's how Max's summer starts and continues every morning. With Freak ready and raring to go, but Max, well, he's just trying to get his eyes open. They decide to figure out what's going on outside. They'll go east and explore. After talking about archetypes for a bit, a topic that's a touch over Max's head to say the least, they move on in the direction of adventure. In Chapter 9, Freak is riding on Max's shoulders, and all the while crafting stories about this quest that they're on making things seem so real, such as a normal compass and a sidewalk and houses and rivers and trees. To hear Freak tell it, it's kind of hard to believe that they're just walking around an ordinary neighborhood. No, in his mind, they're sipping grog with King Arthur himself at the round table. Until, that is, they get to the end of a certain block that's ten minutes or so away from home. They've ended up at a medical research hospital and it's there that Freak tells him something that no one's supposed to know. He's going in for a new body one day, but for now they monitor his heart and his breathing and a lot of other things. Freak thinks that it'll turn him into a robot, but Max, well, he's worried, because he really isn't sure about how all this will turn out. Over summer, Max grows, and his granddad thinks he has a reason for that to kick off Chapter 10. He's been carrying his buddy Kevin around all the time. He goes back downstairs and finds Freak, who lets him know that they're going on a treasure hunt towards the neighborhood's storm drain. They must wear all black and sneak around and wait until 3 a.m. Now, if that isn't sketchy enough, the time comes and it's really dark and abandoned. And for me, that would be enough to start waving the white flag of surrender, but even so, they trudge on. When they get to the storm drain, Max tries to pull the grate up, but can't. Max has a hook on a string, and Freak tells him to let it down through the grate. Maybe that would help. And Max doesn't know what's going on, or why to start with, but his counterpart tells him that there's something down in the drain. And sure enough, Max looks and there's a purse just sitting there. Freak sets his mind on having it, so Max reaches down and pulls the purse through to the surface. They do some poking around inside the purse and find that a woman named Loretta Lee owns it. They connect some more dots and figure out that this was the purse that Tony and his goons stole just a few days ago. They saw him running down the road with it, and by looks of the driver's license, this Loretta Lee was the unsuspecting victim. So they have Loretta's name, Loretta's address, and Loretta's purse. All that's left from here is to just go return it. And the next morning, that's exactly what they set off to do. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I'm really glad you could make it, and I hope you enjoyed the festivities. If you want to stay connected to the show, I'd invite you to pop on over to Facebook or Twitter and give the page a follow. Just search Ebone Zone on Facebook and Official EBZ on Twitter. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next week, my friend, God bless you, stay humble, and remember, keep an ear out.